What's up, everybody? Anthony Cazenza here with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, joined by my partner in crime, my dynamic duo, this better half. I don't know. Uh, it's It's been a long week, and it's only the middle of the week, for God's sake. I can't even believe it. But still, John, good to see you again, bud. How, how are things going? How's your week going? Uh, is it as busy as mine? Good Lord. You know, my, my week's been going good, but I guess... I'm your new better half now. Your wife is not. So just, you know, my week has gotten a lot better, I guess. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, she. I don't know how she would take that, but that's okay. Uh, I always, I always say I'm the better half for her anyway. You know, just you know. But we know this the truth guy. there. Anyway, anyway. Uh, look, a, a lot to get to tonight. We've got a special interview with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Enquirer that'll be happening about the midway point of the program. So we're really excited about that. That's uh, it, Charlie's Charlie's awesome. Um, really great guy. Really sharp guy. Uh, and if you do not follow him on Twitter, I don't know what the hell you're doing because he provides great coverage with Kelsey Conway over at the Cincinnati Enquirer and uh, the Bengals Beat Podcast. So looking forward to speaking to him. We're going to break down a little bit of the 49ers loss. We're going to talk about a stat of the week. Uh, not a stat of the week. Excuse me. We're going to we have a state your case. Uh, this week. That's what we've got. We've been doing a lot of stats, so we've got to state your case this week. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Broncos game coming up, and then we're going to get on out of here and let everybody enjoy the rest of their week. Before we get started with everything, want to remind folks, if you have not done so already, please subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. That is where you can get this show, the Orange and Black Insider with John and I, John and I do a number of different uh, programs, whether it's this one, the deep dive analysis show on Wednesdays, we do listener questions live. I think we're, we're up again this week on Friday. <laughs> so uh, John, surprise, surprise. Uh, I, I think we're up again this Friday for listener questions live. We usually do that two or three times a month. We do post game shows, fantasy football. We run through the NFL headlines. So whether you like the audio or video platforms, we got you covered. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. The icon is right below the, the uh, SB Nation icon down there. If you're watching the video, click that. Subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And as I mentioned, we are on all audio streamers. And it's not just this program that is part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. It's the Orange and Black Insider. It's Orange is the New Black from uh, Ace and Zim. By the way, Zim sent me some funny texts today. It was, uh, it was good to hear from him. Uh, so Ace and Zim. And then, of course, Matt Minnick doing Coach Speak and Chalk Talk breaking down a lot of film and talking about things on his show. Go subscribe to that. Leave us a review. We appreciate it. Okay. Shameless self-promotion of the Cincy Jungle stuff aside, John Sheeran. Where do you want to start with this one, man? Um, I I just, I usually I, I'm where I watch the games. It's either at my house or at my brother's house, small kind of intimate setting and really get to pay attention, particularly when, you know, I'm typing or doing all kinds of different stuff. I actually, because there was a number of people we knew that wanted to watch this game with us, we actually went out to a restaurant slash bar to watch the thing. I'm sitting there typing at a restaurant. Um, and so, and, you know, I'm kind of like, it's loud and, you know, I'm trying to see kind of what's happening and stuff, but it was a lot of fun despite the result, regardless. Um, I don't know where you want to start with this one, man. Um, up and down game for sure. Well, well, first of all, did, did you feel like one of those people at Starbucks or like just working in public? You know, do you feel like you, you got Look that at me. Hey. Yeah. Hey, I'm writing um, here. <laughs> man, at a certain point, I, I think uh, 
no, no spoilers, but I watched the new episode of Hawkeye today, and there was a quote by someone, and they said, um, words are just words. You basically are, are judged by your actions and what you do, mm-hmm. and I think we have to start applying that with the Bengals. It's not just been the last two weeks. The last two weeks, it's been more prevalent of this, just the kindergarten mistakes, the shooting themselves in the foot. At a certain point, that kind of becomes who you are, and it can't be just jotted down as weird mistakes that aren't predictable or anything like that at a certain point like that's just the kind of football that you play and the AFC is wide open right now for a lot of different reasons and we want to label all of those other teams as fraudulent not as good as the record states totally beatable the Bengals are in the group like it's no longer the Bengals can take advantage of a wide open AFC the Bengals have to survive their own mistakes and they're so fortunate to be playing in the same conference as all of these other teams who are currently fumbling the bag and i know we're going to talk about the coaching and whatnot and it's very easy to just lament on one or two plays or maybe one or two specific issues as to what happened in this game specifically if they happened later in the game but a lot of things went wrong in this game and it had nothing really to do with the 49ers being good and when predicting this game, I, th- I felt like two things were going to happen. The passing game was going to go off. It ended up going off. Joe Burrow had one of his better games of his career. T. Higgins and Jamar Chase both popped off in the same game for the first time maybe ever. And Jimmy Garoppolo was not that impressive. And the Bengals defense would be able to take advantage of that. I think I predicted 28 to 20. That probably should have been the final. That should have been close to the final score 26 to 20 had they punched it in in overtime instead of settling for a field goal. A lot of things happened that we expected in this game and a lot of things happened where we didn't account for. And I don't know if we can continue to just chalk that up to just isolated mistakes. I think it eventually just becomes this team's identity and we have to expect that it's going to happen every single week until it doesn't. To your point, there was a really odd about five hour window where for a while the Browns were just boat racing the beaten up Baltimore Ravens, and you're going, hey, this is setting up nicely for the Bengals here this afternoon, this evening. Then all of a sudden, the Browns, who are boat racing the Baltimore Ravens with a backup quarterback, somehow allow them to score a touchdown and recover the onside kick, make the game a two-point game, and it goes down to the wire with a backup quarterback. Then you've got the Bengals, who for the first three quarters sleepwalk through that game and all of a sudden light it up in the fourth quarter and basically have the game in hand to somehow pull out a win against a team that has also been very Jekyll and Hyde in the 49ers. So why I'm saying that is to your point, especially as we focus in on the AFC, my God, nobody wants to win. Nobody wants to run away with things. Nobody wants to just take the division by the haunches and say, this is mine. And the Bengals had a golden opportunity to do so on Sunday just with the Bills losing, with the the Browns beating the Ravens, I mean, it just set them up nicely to really get it really into the top four of the the playoff bracket, and they they tripped over their own feet at home for the second week in a row, and now we're looking at a team where you go, they're, they're barely over five hundred. What's coming up next? They've got four pretty difficult games coming down the stretch, although those are all teams that have been wishy washy. Uh, so, I mean, there are more questions than answers, I guess, is, is kind of my point, And it's kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, John. It was a, an incredibly frustrating game 
to watch for the first th- three quarters of, of what, what we witnessed. I mean, I have never seen in a matter of two quarters, four muffed kicks, um, two muffed punts, two muffed kickoffs, uh, you know, fumbled kickoffs. Now, granted the last one from Stanley Morgan, that one ended up being overturned and it w- he was ruled down, I think on that one. So it's not r- truly four, but you know, when we, and, and this is kind of going to transition, I think into what you were just talking about with the coaching and decisions and play calling and all that kind of stuff. Look, there's, there's an element of this team where we say this is a very disciplined team because they are not committing a lot of penalties. And that's something to really, really marvel at. But what they are doing is they continue to commit these self-inflicted wounds and these turnovers where you go, what are you doing? And the embedded excuse is, hey, they're a young team. The coaching staff is still young. They're finding their way. We're well, talking about guys, John. Joe Mixon the week before fumbles a ball, gets returned for a touchdown. This week, Darius Phillips, he's not a rookie. He's not a second-year guy. Fumbles twice. I mean, now granted the Bengals didn't turn the ball over on offense this week, but you, you know, these, it's, it's just one guy makes the mistake and then next week it's like, well, who's going to be this time. Right. And so I guess my main gripe is, yeah, they're still learning. They're still a young team and they're still kind of developing, but you know, when you see a, a pattern of something like three muff punts and kicks or four, however you want to label that, at some point you say, hey, you know, first fumble by Darius Phillips. Let's learn from that, right? Either we're either we're going to pull him and we're going to bring someone in or Darius Phillips, we're going to rely on you. You better learn how to hang on to that football. Stanley Morgan, you've seen Darius Phillips do it twice. What You, you know what I'm saying? Like learn from what's happening in the game in front of you and make sure that you don't create similar mistakes. And that's that was the maddening thing for me about this Sunday. Yeah, Matthew Grundy in the comment section, drink every time – John says something negative. You should see my mentions after the game. That's where the negativity was, primarily at the head coach <laughs> and whatnot. I had a DM from Ken Dipple, who I believe has asked questions on the show before. He says, quote, here's the deal. I don't care what team you are in the NFL. You can't win football games turning the ball over and making costly penalties. Every game the Bengals have lost, they beat themselves. It is like they are trying to help the other team beat them. This team has a lack of discipline, end quote. What is discipline? Honestly, like it's such a buzzword when talking about young and struggling football teams. I don't think anyone has an actual hard rock solid definition of what it means. We've talked about it with penalties with this team. We talked about it being in the right position, making the right plays, not making the mistakes. There is nothing the coaches can do to make Darius Phillips not fumble that punt. They can only coach him how to position himself and just to do the right steps. At a certain point, Darius Phillips has to just feel the punt. I don't know what coach off the top of my head would pull a punt returner who has not muffed a punt in three years after one muffing, if you will. And for what it's worth, they did pull him on kickoff returns after that first muff punt. Stanley Morgan does not return kickoffs. So they pulled Darius Phillips from kickoff duties right after the first muff punt. They don't have a backup pump returner that they like to rely on. In this game, they didn't have Trent Irwin because they couldn't activate him due to injuries at other positions. They just ran out of like bodies at that point, so they had to get, make Irwin a healthy scratch. Their only backup was Tyler Boyd. Last week, you had the entire fan base just pile on the coaching staff for having Logan Wilson play special teams. You want to pull out Tyler Boyd as a pump returner in the second quarter? What if something happens to him? He's got to play on offense. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are going on here. I don't agree with the sense that 
this whole hindsight argument about Darius Phillips should have been benched after the first muffing. I don't think another coach makes that decision. And if, and if he does, then we get the whole argument about, okay, so you're setting a standard that if these guys screw up, they immediately get benched and that's their immediate discipline. That's their immediate punishment. And you're not letting guys play through the mistakes, which was a complaint with Marvin Lewis. He put guys in the doghouse, albeit sometimes fairly, sometimes too soon. That's not what Zach Taylor does. He's that's not the kind of coach that he is. At a certain point, the players have to be accountable for the mistakes that they make. The coaches can't put Jesse Bates in a better position to pick yeah. that ball off. In fact, Jesse Bates is there because of the film study leading up to the game. And that's primarily because of what the coaches are telling him to do, what they're teaching these guys in film study. Jesse Bates has to catch the ball. The offense line has to pass protect better than what they did against the 49ers. It was arguably their worst game pass protecting. Yeah. A lot of things went wrong in this game. And I think most of it involves on-field stuff that the coaches have no control over. And that's that's kind of the chicken or the uh, chicken or the egg argument, right? I mean, it's like you know, well, these guys aren't executing. Is that on the players or is that on the coaches not putting the right players in the right positions and or lack of mental preparation? You know, there, there's this whole uh, argument, and quite quite frankly, I I kind of see both sides of it. But you, you are correct, and and the Jesse Bates thing is really adding to the pile of what I just mentioned of. These, these aren't year one and year two guys making the same mistakes over and over. And you go, oh, these young guys, they'll learn. These are year four guys, right? I mean, these are these are guys that have been here for a while. And some of which in these last two weeks where the mistakes are coming from are your team captains, your locker room leaders, et cetera. So I, I, that's that's where I get frustrated in what I what I witnessed on Sunday is just, you know, it's it's a comedy of errors and it's not really pigeonholed to one kind of segment of the roster, really. And when the offense is playing well and not turning the ball over like they did in the last quarter and a half, if you want to call, you know, overtime, you know, basically two quarters of, of the game there, then special teams is letting you down. You had a missed kick from your from your kicker and you've got a number of turnovers and, and you know. It, the list goes on and on, but I know the big talking point too, and one that we want to get to and one that you want to talk about is, you know, we're, we're kind of, it sounded like you were saying, well, it's a little bit more on the players here in terms of the lack of execution. Well, what about the game game plan? What about the play calling particularly? It, I, I want you to talk about the late part of the game, but there's one part I want to talk about first, if you don't mind. That is how the Bengals come, came out of halftime. Uh, there were, they're down 17 to six. And at that point you say, okay, you need to, you need to get points here. You need to get points here and and make this thing a one possession game. However you need to do it. And likely it's going to, you're going to have to rely on your franchise quarterback. What happens first down, you get a six yard run from Joe Mixon. Hey, nice play, right? You, you set yourself up for really kind of a, a house money situation where it's second and four. You can kind of get, you know, a nice safe pass to move the sticks or what have you. Two runs, three yards. So your opening drive out of halftime is three runs for nine yards and you punt the ball away. And and then, of course, that I had I had a problem with that. And then I know you you want to talk about what happened late in the game as well. The first drive I have no explanation for. I think that was... That I mean, it was pretty inexcusable for what the situation was. Two of the tackles made on that drive were by Eric Armstead, who basically had his way against poor Hakeem Adenogy at right guard. And you know, we talked about uh, leading up to this game, like if Adenogy has another bad game, what's going to happen with him? He definitely had his worst game by far, but it doesn't sound like he's going anywhere. But that's kind of leading into a, a, a talking point here with the coaching staff and just play calling in general. I don't think because people want to just 
nail Zach Taylor for play calling whenever it's not looking good or whatnot. And I don't think people realize that it's mainly just also a reflection of what is currently not only happening in the game, but what you're dealing with in terms of strengths and weaknesses on your roster. And we kind of touched on this earlier. The offense line played terrible in this game. Like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, fantastic players. We should have gave them a lot more credit leading up to this game, but they cannot stop them. I think one of the very two dropbacks, one of those guys was in the backfield. I think Burrow was pressured 19 times or something in this game. So in those situations, when you have second and four, third and three, the fact that Armstead is the one to make those stops doesn't really tell you that they're really adjusting well, I think, if you're running right at him or you're giving him a chance to make plays on that. And there were other conservative decisions, too. I, th- I think um, opting to kick field goals on fourth and short situations. The fact that they were fourth and one, they wanted to go for it. Then they smartly called timeout because they didn't like the look that they were in. But then to not use that timeout to come up with a better play or a different play against a different look and to just take the field goal, opt for the field goal, I think was a little bit questionable. And that I think Taylor got flacked in an, an athletic article basically about calling him conservative for some of these decisions. But it all leads up to that final drive. It all leads up to overtime with not only you getting that touchdown at the end of the game, you getting the coin flip, you have that imaginary momentum on your side, but just Joe Burrow playing really well up to that point, yeah. leading into that drive, leading into that play. It's not just the fact that you took the ball out of his hands. It's the fact that you had the 49ers on the ropes and they couldn't really stop you in past events because that was the big mismatch in this game. They had their third string cornerback on the on the right side of the field and the ghost of Josh Norman on the other. It sucks that like that is what the game kind of boils down to. It sucks that we have these great moments from Chase and Burrow that are basically washed away in a loss. And at the end of the day, you you, you can't defend Zach Taylor for that situation, right? But the fact that they were in that deficit in the first place because of mistakes that Taylor couldn't really control, it creates this unfortunate situation for him where it's it's recency, it's recency bias because it happens at the end of the game. Yeah. But it's also just the continuation of some things that we've seen earlier in the season. A lot of people have pointed to the Vikings game for some mismanaging that overtime, the Packers game where he was conservative and opted to take field goals, and now this game. A lot of Zach Taylor is taking notes and all these notepads and being genuine and honest with himself and self-evaluating, self-scouting and having accountability in in front of the mic at a certain point that kind of goes away. If you don't show the propensity to correct your mistakes. So are these mistakes like, honestly, the question is, are, are his errors a a reflection of the team weaknesses? If he's, if he's not opting to pass in situations because he doesn't trust his offensive line, or is it really just him not learning from his mistakes, which is kind of inexcusable. You know me, John, I like to uh, be be the fence rider here on this show. And I I mean, cop out answer, but I mean, I, I see both on this. I mean, I really, really do. I think you're still seeing Zach Taylor make go through some growing pains, if you will, as a head coach. Maybe he'll never mature out of those growing pains as a head coach. I don't know, but you're still seeing those same issues, if you will. And then, of course, um, you know, I, I still think, there are some some big roster deficiencies. I mean, you mentioned the pressure rate. I think it was up to basically 50% of Burroughs dropbacks uh, of the day. Um, you know, he's he's getting pressured. And then, you know, he's also an excellent quarterback against the blitz. There were some blitzes that, you know, all, one I can think of off the top of my head did net a sack of Burrow. But, you know, he also did a lot of great work against the blitz. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, well, do you – 
you got this guy for a reason. Do you live and die by this? He's got the hot hand at the end of the game here. I, again, I, and I also go back. It's when you talk about the recency bias thing that happened at the end of the game, it's very similar to, you know, when a kicker misses a kick at the end of the game and the, the team loses by one point, two points, what have you. And you go back and you go, well, the quarterback threw two interceptions or the running back fumbled the ball away or the Bengals couldn't stop anybody. Whatever the case was, it's not just the missed field goal that happens at the end of the game. There are a handful of scenarios and whatnot that go into it. But it's easy to point the finger at that. And really, given how Burrow had been playing up to that point, it's really easy to say, like, what are we doing here? Why why are we doing this? And I, I think that issue started back in the drive I mentioned to open the, open the second half. And I, you know, when it just a situation like that, where you have a second and four and you can say, we can do a lot of different things here and you get conservative there as well. And at that point, I believe I'd have to go back and check, but you know, Riley reef had exited the game again with it, with an injury. And if you're going to rely on the run, you don't have your veteran right tackle. You know, there's, there were just some struggles in general up front. And I I don't know. I, I, there's just, there are a lot of questions that that are yet to be answered. And now you've got this stretch of games where coaching decision, there, there's a razor thin margin for error in these games coming up here, not only because of how the playoff bracket is shaping up, but who the Bengals play and the quality level of those opponents. So we can't keep seeing these types of errors and, and or, like you said, similar mistakes or similar issues from Zach Taylor going forward. Yeah. And it's just the nature of being a head coach, I guess, because of all the mistakes that happen if you are at the end of the game and you do something that you even admit twice in the next few days was a mistake that keeps you up at night. You're going to get the flag for that. And you said in these next four games, like they're all tough opponents, they're all in the playoff race and they need to win probably at bare minimum, two of them. I think, we just said we just have to account for these mistakes to continue to happen until we see that they don't happen. And then it's just up to, okay, how is that going to do that? Because the uh, conversation with that was, okay, if a coach's job is to maximize your ability to win, it's to maximize the, the current state of the team. It's to manage these games to the best of your ability based off of what you have to work with. And I don't know, well, he's saying that he's learning these things. He's saying that he wishes he done, he did things different. But there are there are examples, there are precedents that he has set, and we've yet to kind of see those changes. Something that we didn't even talk about, and I guess maybe some fans want to hear our take on this, the Von Bell play. I mean, that's that's a four-point swing right there. Yep. I don't know how to address taunting at this point. I think we all agree that, first of all, it's not a new rule. It's a point of emphasis this year. They're cracking down more on it. It hasn't really affected... Bengals game aside from the Bears game when Von Bell was I think called for a taunting penalty in that one as well we all know that Von Bell was not taunting he was not celebrating in the face of a 49ers player he was saying you almost hit me according to his teammate DJ Reader the optics of the situation it looks like something that the refs are going to call under these new guidelines and emphasis and that is mainly what taunting is at this point it's not the act of intent it's basically what are the optics of the actual situation. And of course, Bengals fans were in a rise about it. That's not taunting. This is changing the outcome of the games and everything. And then they immediately pointed to a situation where Joe Mixon was tackled by a 49ers player. A couple other 49ers players got into his face, initiated contact with Mixon. Mixon responded. No flag on the play. 
for whatever reason, the refs deemed that the optics of that were not to warrant a flag. And I don't know how to talk about this because I'm trying to see both sides about what do 49ers fans think of the Von Bell taunting because they're going to want that flag thrown, right? They're going to want them seeing that situation. They're going to say, okay, that looks like what taunting is getting called right now. That needs to be a taunting flag. They have no problem with it. And they're not going to want whatever happened with Joe Mixon in the, in the 49ers plays. I'm trying to put myself in the opposite side to basically see, okay, what would my reaction be to that? And honestly, I just come away with it saying, Von Bell, we know you're not taunting, but you can't do that because the optics are going to look like you're taunting. There's there's not a good answer here. I mean, that really, the, the, the bottom line for me is, given the situation, given how wildly erratic the referees have been calling that penalty this year, you, you know, you basically just can't, you can't do that. You can't point, you can't do much of anything at that point. And, and even if I, I disagree with the rule in general, I think it is way too tightly uh, monitored and, and called this year. And that probably will change. I would assume uh, this, this next year at the owners meetings, we'll see, I don't know that, you know, the competition committee has a lot, a lot to discuss there. Ironic. I, I still find it ironic that Mike Tomlin was one of the guys who, spearheaded this whole thing based on you know how the Steelers operate on the on the flag front there but the 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 whole thing is unfortunately the letter of the law is if you point if you do anything like that particularly if it's a third down stop particularly if you're a defender and it looks like you're looking at an offensive player whether or not you truly are that they're going to call that you can go back to the Bears and Steelers game where the referee like hip checked the guy the Bears guy that was running off the field and, and I guess the Bears guy looked at the Steelers sideline, got flagged the bears and ended up being a pivotal moment in that game bears lose. Um, so uh, unfortunately there's, I don't really have a good answer for it other than to say that really by the letter of the rule, it, it's going to get called why the other one wasn't called. Cause to me that looked like taunting as well by tart on San Francisco, why that one wasn't called. I can't give you a good answer on that one either. And that in general is, the problem with this penalty is a lack of consistency. Yeah. And I, and I wish that people would just agree that that is what their problem is. Like people can't say that, Oh, I want this rule eradicated and then go out and say, well, why isn't that taunting? Why is that not taunting? We should get a flag for that too. Like it, it's the consistency part of it, right? It's going, it can, it can help your team or it can hurt your team. I think we all, we can all agree that we don't want it in the game at all because it just ruins the experience but I want there to be consistency when talking about this because I think there's a lot of hypocrisy that goes on with it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good to see we're, we're, we're uh, climbing in a lot of live listener numbers throughout the different platforms in which we are streaming, whether that's our YouTube channel, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, the Twitter accounts that we're linked to, et cetera. So good to see all of you. I did see we had, uh, I believe, SNL alum Luke Knoll making some comments in the in the live YouTube chat. Good to see him. He's always entertaining dude. We should get him on, on the show sometime if he wants to come on. We'd, I'd love he's to talk to him. He's a fantastic guest. Yeah, he's, he's, he's hilarious and a big, big Bengals fan. So uh, good to see him in here. I, I, you know, we can kind of wrap a little bit with this. I mean, the bottom line is this was another winnable game. The Bengals lost and they had – Three games in a row at home coming out of the bye. They had the Raiders game on the road, then three at home, and they went one and two in that stretch. And uh, all three of those games were obtainable. And, you know, it, you really hoped that the Bengals had got two wins out of that. 
uh, particularly against the AFC teams. They did get one in the division there. So the Bengals still have two division games coming up, one to end the season. That could end up determining what happens with the AFC North race, believe it or not, between the Bengals and the Browns. We will see before we transition into our State Your Case segment. We did get a super chat from Mr. Whisper, a very generous one from Mr. Whisper. We talked about the offensive line and, you know, this, I I thought this was a good question. It is a good question for Friday as well, but since he was so generous with it, uh, hey guys, now that we've got nearly a full season of good and bad offensive line play, do you think the Bengals will look to address issues in free agency in the draft or will they bet on the developing roster? They, to me, John, they have shown that they have supreme confidence in being able to develop players and some of which are day two, day three type of picks. They think that they can do that. And if, and they also feel that, you know, if, because the commitment level isn't as high for a day three pick, a day two pick, you know, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, we've, we've got some other veterans or we've got some other options. I've said this a bunch. I think the Bengals need to find, the guy at positions, not these guys. Oh, they provide guard tackle versatility. You like that. And in a pinch that helps you, but you want a guy who is a guard. You want a guy who is a right tackle. You want to start finding these guys and you need to make heavy investments on it because while it has been better this year, five sacks, six quarterback hits. And what did you say? 19 pressures on burrow about a 50% pressure rate on the day. That's not good enough. And then you're not running the ball either. I mean, they, they 3.3 yards per carry as a, as a as a team on Sunday. So it's not like you're doing one thing well and the other thing not well. <laughs> yeah, I we all had our fun this offseason, I think, imagining the Bengals going out, spending a lot of money on offensive line. That was nice. That was a nice conversation for a few weeks. Got hit with the dose of reality of what they actually want to do and what they've always been. And that's just what it is. So, yeah, they're going to have cap space this offseason. I don't think their habits are going to change because if they were going to change, it was probably going to be this year. So I don't foresee any Brandon Scherf type signing like a lot of people expected last year. I think they do probably sign a free agent. They're going to they're going to have to do something at right tackle. I don't know at this point if Riley Reef is going to come back dealing with injuries, being 33 and entering next season. They have questions at right guard, but they have bodies there at least. I think you're going to see probably one, maybe mid-tier signing at one of those positions, right guard or right tackle. But I don't think we're going to see this supreme investment like a lot of people dreamed they were going to do this past season. I don't think so either. And, uh, you know, they are picking, they are set to pick in the draft in a spot where, you you know, you may not get the premier tackle or what have you, but you can get either a the premier interior offensive line or a pretty good tackle that you could develop there. They're still... A, you know, a lot of clay to mold with Deontay Smith and, and Jackson Carmen there. But, you know, again, you gotta, you gotta start getting immediate dividends out of some of these guys here. And I know injuries play a part of that, but you know, I, you've got, you've got a, a kid in Carmen who was a second round pick. He was a left tackle in college. You've got him playing right guard and he can't see the field as a rookie. So you know, it, it sometimes when you say that out loud, that sequence of events, you go, what's the plan here? Right. Um, so at any rate, good question. I think they'll probably do a little bit of both, but I don't think like to your point, I don't think we're seeing the elite elite 
free agents because they had an opportunity to do that this year and they did not. Although it does look like uh, go go follow Zim on his uh, Twitter account. It does look like the Bengals are set to have a good amount of cap space next year, which is uh, which is a good sign. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're going to keep rolling on, and in doing so, we are going to bring you the State Your Case, and we're going to be a little bit more positive with this one, I think, in the State Your Case. So we'll do that, and then we'll be hearing from Charlie Goldsmith. All right, John, we want to talk some Pro Bowl. Kick it off, buddy. Yeah, we do, man. I think the NFL rolled out this whole initiative this or today, Wednesday. Uh, retweets for Pro Bowl with the hashtag counts as two votes, I think. So if you want to get in on some Pro, Pro Bowl voting, go ahead and go to the Twitter and do that. But before you do, why don't you hear me and Anthony's takes about deserving and predictions, I think. Because you can't talk about the Bengals Pro Bowl without creating that discrepancy. A lot of, I mean, look to last year for a good example. Jesse Bates arguably the top safety in the league in 2020, not even a Pro Bowl nomination. There are guys definitely this year, and it helps that the Bengals are more successful. They're seven and six. They're in the playoff race. There are definitely guys who are deserving, and there are guys who are deserving but may not have the exposure or the numbers or the stats to get in. So what we're going to do is we're going to go kind of back and forth here. We're going to list the guys that we believe 100% deserve to go to the Pro Bowl and also who we believe are going to go in for sure based off voting in that group of guys. So I'm going to go first here. I'm going to name my players who I think are completely deserving and I'm very confident are going to make it. And I think I have, I've said, I've settled on three. We're going to start with Joe Mixon, partly because he's second in the league, I believe in rushing yards. So that automatically puts his, I think name at the top of the ballot for fan voting. Obviously, has won probably a lot of fantasy games. He's like a top fantasy running back as well. Just him being healthy and also playing through injury and being consistent, having, I think, well over 10 touchdowns this season. I think he's going to make his first Pro Bowl so long as he just keeps it up. And really, over the last few weeks when voting has been a thing, he's also been good. Jamar Chase as well. I think him having another a great bounce back game against the 49ers, he's eclipsed 1,000 receiving yards. He's eclipsed 10 touchdowns. He's top five, I think, in both those categories. People also love dominant rookies. He's going to be in the rookie of the year race. I think that alone elevates him in the voting as well. 
And then finally, I'm going to go Trey Hendrickson just because he's at the top of sacks and the whole Pro Bowl voting. They separate defensive ends and outside linebackers. So his name is really at the top of the sack list for, with just defensive ends. People are going to look at that. He's been dominant. He's been consistent this year. I think 12 and a half sacks and they've come in 11 of 13 possible games. And he's on a nine game sack streak. So the consistency, the dominance, he's up there at the top of the ballots. Those are my three that are completely, completely deserving. And I'm 100 percent confident they're going in. I cannot disagree with any one of those. And even Trey Hendrickson, even leaving the game early against the San Francisco 49ers, he left the game with a, with a sack to his name. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't disagree with any of those. There are a couple of bubble guys that barring situations or other things going their way or not their way. I think you'd have a case for him. I think if T Higgins caught fire a little earlier, now he's got, he's got three straight 100 yard games. He's going to, he's sniffing a thousand yard season and he's got more, more touchdowns this year than he did last year. That's a guy that, you know, you think that, you know, could have a, a case for himself as well. Uh, Uzama had a pretty, pretty decent year, but I don't see that happening because of how stacked the tight end position is. You know, you've got your Kelsey's and others all over the NFL that, uh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think he unfortunately will get the same recognition. You had Logan Wilson, a guy that had four interceptions early in the season. Then he started to cool off and then he's been absent because of an injury. That was a guy, had he been a little more consistent towards the middle part of the season, he would probably be a shoe in at linebacker there. I think Sam Hubbard deserves a little bit of a nod for what he's done. But again, with the numbers that Hendrickson puts up, he's not going to get the run. And of course, the other guy who is unfortunately a product of the position in which he plays, that is DJ Reader, a guy who has consistently been very, very good, but unfortunately plays limited snaps. He's a nose tackle. And in the popularity contest that is the Pro Bowl, you're going to get the Aaron Donalds. You're going to get more of the pass rushing types uh, that, that get nominated. And they're not so much the nose tackle guys, but the Bengals have been solid against the run this year. DJ Reader has an 80.7 overall score, I believe, this year, PFF score. Um, and he's been consistently one of their top performers. Got, got He has a couple sacks there and has quietly been a big part of why the Bengals defense has had a nice bounce back year this year. So those are some of the bubble guys that I think have an argument, but I don't think they will make it. But the three that you mentioned, I think, are locks. And then, of course, you've got Joe Burrow, right? Um, where, where does Joe Burrow fit in there? Uh, you know, he's up there in touchdown passes, and one of uh, he and Brady are the top two PFF guys, right, in, in a lot of different – metrics that they've got going there for the year but he leads the league in interceptions and of course there's just the popularity contest of the pro bowl and we don't know exactly where joe burrow would fall in for that but uh, i think he definitely is deserving as well yeah i put reader and higgins in my kind of deserving but they're not going to be in primarily because if pff determined the pro bowl then jesse bates would have been last year like guys aren't going to vote based off of pff grades at least fans aren't going to vote off of right. PFF grades. They're going to vote in pass rushers. Higgins definitely has made a, a strong case towards the late part of the season. And I think if he can, if he continues that, I think he can get support from the players and the, and the other people who vote that aren't fans. Joe Burrow is the interesting one here because he definitely deserves to be. And I'm not, I'm not excluding him from the Mixons, the chases and the Hendrickson's. I'm a little concerned about his production because he's, I think seventh or eighth in passing yards 
and other guys who are below him in passing yards, including like Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, you know, they're guys, those guys are going to get votes because they play on popular teams and they're well-known names. I don't know because just because Burrow hasn't thrown as much as other quarterbacks, if he's going to have the volume production to get in, but that doesn't discredit him from not playing well enough to get in. I'm just not a hundred percent confident like I am in the other three. Right. And obviously we, I don't think we talk about Chidobe Awuzie a hundred percent deserving highly graded PFF, just really consistent, but doesn't really have the interceptions like other cornerbacks. I think Travion Trayvon Diggs is going to get in, even though the nine interceptions are great, but he's not been nearly consistent enough in my opinion to warrant like a, an honor of being a top five cornerback in the league this year. I think Cheeto has been, and I think he deserves it, but I would not say I'm confident that he's going to get in. Yeah. I'm seeing, yeah. Blackthorn, our buddy, uh, live YouTube chat talking about a And of course, I think it was Matthew Grundy as well, who said, what about my boy Cheeto, which I think is Chidobe Awuzie, I think is the reference there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think as it is, you've got, you've got three guys that are very, very deserving and should be locks based on the position they play and the stats they put up at those positions. But there are a number of players that you can make arguments for, and there may be more than three based on, opt-outs or guys getting injured or what have you, or if the Bengals end up going far into the postseason, you never know, you know, but uh, I, I don't, uh, I it's, it's a crapshoot. And, you know, a lot of times it's a popularity contest and some of the times the way they construct rosters aren't even really indicative of what a, <laughs> a true team looks like, you know, they just kind of bring in a bunch of guys that uh, aren't, uh, you know, you know what I mean? When I'm talking about like defensive linemen and stuff like that, they just kind of bring in guys that have stats and aren't necessarily the true players that uh, of, of specific positions. But anyway, uh, yeah. At, at any, at Willie Paris says Eli Apple. I don't, I don't know about Eli Apple there, but he has been playing better to his credit. He has been playing better and we may be seeing some Trey Waynes here soon. We'll, we'll see. We're going to get to Charlie Goldsmith in just a second before we do. We, since we, did a little state your case and we've got Charlie Goldsmith on deck. You know, what we got to talk about, right, John? We got to talk about symbol. We got to talk about symbol. S I M B U L L.com backslash OBI. Go to the website. Symbol is where you can buy teams like they are stocks and you can use their platform like it is the stock market but it's for sports and you can invest in teams like the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe they go on a run here and uh, their, their prices dropped a little bit, I believe over the past couple of weeks, but maybe you can swoop up some shares there, make some money. If the Bengals go on a late season run and get into the postseason. but this is not just a short-term play. This is a long-term play. You got to go to symbol.com slash OBI because John, they have a special promotion for our listeners. Absolutely, man. You guys know the drill by now, but if you don't, Symbol is offering a great deal for OBI listeners. If you go to symbol.app backslash OBI and you sign up using the promo code OBI, you get not $100, not $200, not $400, not $400, $499. Up to $500 on your initial deposit becomes risk-free for the first 90 days. If you sign up on Christmas Day, it's risk-free up until March, which means you can do whatever you want on the symbol market. You can invest in the Sim Bengals. You can invest in the Sim Reds. We're down to two cents right now, I guess. You can invest in the Sim Blue Jackets. <laughs> you can invest in the Sim Buckeyes as they 
as they prepare to take on the Utah Utes in the Rose Bowl. You can invest in any of your favorite teams or any teams that you feel knowledgeable about that they're going to get better. You can sell high. You can buy low. You can make money off this thing, either in the short or the long term. And you can use that $500 to whatever you like. But if you don't like Symbol, if you find out it's not for you, if you're losing money, if you become a Scrooge and you don't want to put in that much money, you can take it out 100% risk-free for those first 90 days after your initial deposit. But you can only do that if you go to Symbol.app backslash or forward slash OBI, whichever slash you want to use. Use the promo code OBI. Get in on some of this action. Good stuff. Happy to be partnering with Symbol. And as John mentioned, you got to use that promo code OBI to take advantage. Well, as we mentioned, we spoke with Charlie Goldsmith a little bit earlier. So we are going to play that interview for you now. Uh, it's it's going to take up a good, a good chunk, but uh, it was a really interesting chat. He is an awesome dude. So we're going to play that for you now. We spoke with Cincinnati Inquirer's Charlie Goldsmith. Check it out. Hope you enjoyed All right, as teased before, we are joined by another great member of the Cincinnati media. He covers the Cincinnati Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer, does a great job, and is a personal favorite of mine. I love his little video clips that that he does on Twitter, kind of summarizing things. John, we are pleased to be joined by Charlie Goldsmith. Charlie, I know you are extremely busy. Thank you so much for making time. Uh, how's, How's everything going? Everything's great. It means a lot about the two-minute videos, uh, which you don't see are the first or the second take, maybe. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, yeah, we're, we we edit a lot of stuff behind the scenes, too. So we, we know how that stuff goes. But I, I genuinely do enjoy those. I, uh, I really, really like your coverage of the team. And first question out of the way here, before we get to all kinds of stuff about the Bengals, past, present, and future, how, how big of a fan of you are you of the Mike Cart? Are you are you a big big Mike Cart guy or uh, how how popular is that thing becoming now? Talk about something you don't expect to become a thing until it does. <laughs> I mean, the Mike Cart was like three months old before it even blew up, yeah. and then it blew up, and now the Jonah Williams coffee mug with the cart was probably as good as it'll get. Um, <laughs> it does its job. It's a team player. Well, man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, it's it's I don't know how that thing got its run, but uh, it's it's getting some getting some legs on it. You see what I did there? Nice pun. I like it. Uh, Charlie, let's start off with what you have seen so far with this team. Are you surprised either way, really, at the seven and six record right now? Are you surprised where the team has been? Have they pleasantly surprised you? Have they disappointed you? What just overall from what you've seen? Where, where do you stand on this team right now? Pleasant surprise, they're still in that category when you look at the 13-game sample size because you look at who would be in the exceeded expectations expecta- uh, exceeded expectations bucket. I think Jamar Chase being at 1,000 yards mm-hmm. through 13 games is exceeding expectations. I think that the offensive line has been about what we expected at the start of the year. I think that Joe Mixon is having maybe aside from 2019 as good of a career he's had. Trey Hendrickson and Logan Wilson and Shinobi Wuja are certainly exceeding expectations. So there's a lot that's broken right. Obviously, there were the readjusted expectations that came with the Baltimore and the Pittsburgh wins, the turnovers that have been the consistent theme, the consistent issue, kind of chipping away from the positive momentum and the positive vibes that had been built. But but overall, I agree with that. Through a 13-game sample size, looking at the entirety, it is a positive surprise for the season. 
you mentioned a, a quite a bit of names there. Which Bengals players deserve to go to the Pro Bowl in your mind, and how many of them actually get voted in? All right, so you know what? I'm going to start with Joe Burrow. Um, I think that – so I haven't done this yet. I haven't done an AFC specific based off this season, but I think that Joe Burrow is as good as Justin Herbert right now, and I think both of them are in the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the AFC. Again, I'd have to go through it one more time. Obviously, Mahomes is a top-tier guy. Josh Allen's having – you know, Josh Allen's a really good player as well. Um, I might be missing a name or two, but but Joe Burrow, I think, is in the conversation. I think Jamar Chase leads the AFC in receiving yards. I think that Trey Hendrickson – Again, I haven't stacked him up to where he stacks up with, uh, you know, uh, Bosa in L.A. or Watt or uh, Garrett. But Trey Hendrickson is having a Pro Bowl caliber mm-hmm. season. And then Ahuja. I mean, the Bengals the Bengals see number one corner as the most important spot of a defense. That's how Uwe Narumo views it. He's a secondary guy, and I think there's a lot of credence to that as well. And Ahuja has performed like a number one corner. So that's a good core. That's a good group of guys. Talking with Charlie Goldsmith, he covers the Cincinnati Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer and teams up with Kelsey Conway on the Bengals Beat Podcast. Happy to be chatting with him. Uh, Charlie, you know, you're talking about some of these guys that may be the front runners for Pro Bowl or, or guys that should be mentioned for Pro Bowlers. Let's talk a little bit about some of the guys behind the scenes or some of these rotational players that the Bengals have brought in and have paid dividends, namely on the defensive line. Obviously, DJ Reader last year, BJ Hill this year, Larry Ogunjobi this year. And really with those last two, and maybe even, you know, a guy like Jesse Bates coming in a contract situation, where where do you think the Bengals go looking ahead to next year on some of these contract situations with these guys? Jesse Bates has had kind of an up and down year. The two interior defensive linemen, though, have been quite the additions for the team. So I think that I'm just going to go off past precedent. We've seen the Bengals are really willing to invest in Pass rushers and run stoppers, which B.J. Hill and Ogan Joby do uh, as a tandem extremely well. Um, they play alongside each other a lot. They have that five defensive linemen front they use where Hill and Ogan Joby are both inside, and that really works. And then obviously Hill can Hill has the opportunity in some packages to come in for Reader on third downs, and as you mentioned, he's doing great getting to the quarterback. That would be a big priority. Jesse Bates is the core, um, like leadership-wise of the team. I think – Looking at just a four-year track record that he's had, he has earned an extension. Now it's probably closer to a Sam Hubbard level than, say, a Justin Simmons level, which maybe we were challenging or we were discussing early in the season. Uh, this is a really important last month for Bates because especially with Awuja dinged up, Hedrickson's currently dinged up, Logan Wilson, sir, Bates is exactly the type of playmaker the Bengals need. <clears throat> and I do believe he could make himself a lot of money in the last month of the season. So sticking with the defense, because just like the entire team, they've experienced ups and downs this year. When you describe this unit, what seems to be more accurate, overachieving or underachieving based on how much they've invested in it? It's a good question. So, all right. So defensive line, they, they really did invest a ton in the defensive line. and the secondary, they invested a ton in as well. Safety is a relatively cheap investment and linebackers, second cheapest in the league. So you, you look at the fact that the Bengals' pass rush and their depth in the secondary, I do think, have been strengths. And weaknesses have been middle-of-the-field coverage and then turnovers from a base perspective. I'll put that on a lot initially. Um, I think they're about they're about right in terms of what they've invested in it. They had that opportunity because of how 
much they invested in the draft on offense. So, so right now, I guess neutral. But that's a I'm gonna go back and look farther into that because they invested a ton in the line and corner, and it'd be interesting to get a closer look at how much they're getting out of it. So I'd be interested to get your take on some of these coaches, right? I mean, this is that critical third year. We knew that it was there were going to be growing pains ever since 2019 because these guys are taking over positions in the at least in the NFL in which they have never had meaning Lou Anarumo, Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor. Uh, now it's been, this year has been a lot of this, right? Some people kind of felt, well, they'd be right around seven or eight wins in total. Then they kind of teased us in some ways with the big wins over Baltimore, the sweep of Pittsburgh. Here we go. The Bengals have arrived and now they've lost two in a row. And really, especially last week, a game they, they kind of came back and should have had if not for some of these issues, you kind of start hearing a little bit of the chirping from some of the fan base about the long-term viability of Taylor Anna Rumo's having a good year with his unit, but Callahan, there's just a lot of inconsistencies. Where, where do you see this coaching staff long-term? I, I don't foresee any kind of firing based on what we've seen this year, obviously some things to play out, but your thoughts long-term on this coaching staff, at least beyond 21, depending on what happens this year. Yeah, I start with Burrow and I start with like, I think Zach Taylor's biggest asset, uh, something that he completely directly brought from LA was how what they did there is they really involved the quarterback in the game planning process. And there are huge, literally things that he carried from that coaching staff to this one, plus concepts in the past game, plus the incorporation and the willingness to adjust in the run game with Frank Pollock, I think was a good sign overall in the advancement of the offense. Uh, I think that, because I mean, it's a good question. I think that most recently the biggest the biggest issues have been turnovers. Most of those I wouldn't say have been schematic turnovers. And then the other thing have been pass protection on third downs in particular. Like look at the 49ers game. How much did the Niners four get pressure against the Bengals five or five get pressure against six with an extra pass protector? That was an issue. Yet part of that is the inexperience and the moving pieces on the offensive line. Um, overall, I think the 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 coaching side of it and the game planning side of it hasn't cost the Bengals a ton of games. It has been more of a net positive than a net negative because of the freedom and the confidence it's given Burrow. So overall, I think it's been a very good year uh, for Zach Taylor as an offense, as an offensive coordinator almost, because I think the biggest issue in particular turnovers mostly have been out of his control almost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So we're talking with Charlie Goldsmith, who covers the Bengals and Cincinnati Reds for Cincinnati.com. Definitely check out his work on Twitter and at Cincinnati.com. You kind of touched on the 49ers game that, that just happened. Obviously, a lot of takes have derived from that game, a lot of fan reaction and whatnot. Just covering that loss and, and going over you know, with coaches and players about their reactions, what is something that you sensed that they felt was the key to why that game ended up? And what where, where do you kind of lie in as like the main problems that as that actually what happened? And do they differ between your stance and maybe the, the uh, players and coaches' stance? Yep. So, uh, I mean, second down in overtime is the talking point. So T Taylor said he, he would have done it differently. He would have put the ball in Burrow's hands. But it's more interesting to think why they went towards the run in that spot. Why did they make that decision in the moment? And I kind of asked Taylor some about that yesterday. The, the sense I got was, all right, so they were playing cover two. They were playing two high safeties. And as a result, the Bengals were lining up a lot in shotgun. They lined up a ton more in shotgun on Sunday than they had in any other game, I think. So when you're in shotgun against two safeties, play action doesn't do much. So as a result, you can't scheme many safe throws 
So you have to, if you're going to pass, be willing to live with the dropback game. And against the 49ers defensive line, uh, I think that they saw the offensive line, you know, they, they didn't want them to be dropping back in full pass protection 40, 45 times a game. They wanted to give the offensive lineman some way a different type of breather. The run game still obviously is difficult, but it's a very different exercise than the pass game as well. So like why they ran on second down was to protect Burrow almost. Looking back and rewatching the game, the concept of protecting Burrow and taking some of the burden of the off the offensive line was a theme overall for the slow start with some of the conservative play calling. There was a second down screen kind of play action. Chase was in the backfield. They threw it to P. P Ron and Capalone up in the backfield. Like uh, a lot of conservative play calls like that, that I think were had in mind because of how much it advantage the 49ers defensive line had against the Bengals front. Talking with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer does a great job covering the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincinnati Reds. I left out the Reds earlier. I'm sorry. We're a Bengals-centric podcast. <laughs> but uh, hey, that's, that's kind of a good segue into where I would go next because the Bengals have a little bit of a murderer's row of games coming up here and obviously two very important ones left on the schedule in the AFC North. The, based on the games that they won coming out of the bye, there was a very balanced offensive attack, a lot of run-heavy concepts, and you know a lot of tackle-eligible, right? Those mm-hmm. kind of plays took, took the ball. I don't want to say took the ball out of Burrow's hands per se, but just a lot of balance, right? Last couple of weeks, be it because of turnovers or what have you, They've kind of thrown the ball all over the park here. And then, you know, they they went on the two-game skid. So where do you see the Bengals offense by what you've seen and heard coming out of these two losses? Where do you see the Bengals offense going from here? Because Burrow did bring them back last week on with his arm and his playmaking ability, but they were winning games against, you know, decent opponents, Raiders and Steelers, on the legs of Joe Mixon. So I think it's week-to-week and matchup specific. So – what Taylor has stressed and has led to me started doing is grouping defensive corner fam- defensive coordinator family trees. So now I'm guess- not guessing, but me really making an educated guess of what the Bengals game plan is going to be based off what they did against a similar game plan. And we saw that just last week. The Bengals game plan against the Jets was almost the exact same game plan that they had against the 49ers. The Jets had coach last year was the 49ers defensive coordinator and they promoted from within. So this week they play – Broncos and the Broncos head coach had a huge influence and basically led to the Chargers defense that we know. Uh, the Bengals see those two defenses as extremely similar. So what did the Bengals do last week? It was similar. It was early shots down the field. It was intermediate game. It wasn't a power run game necessarily. And I think I'll go back and watch that Chargers game to, to refresh on the specific ideas the Bengals had, but it wasn't a power run game with Mixon and the extra tackle. It was more on Burrow's shoulders, and I think that'll be a good sign for the Bengals. For, uh, for Char- specifically, this is why Charlie is one of the best because he does mm-hmm. some of the, some of the work that not a lot of people do, and he really dives right. in to, to the context of some of these matchups coming ahead. But the Bengals have four games left. Odds are they're not going to be favored against Kansas City. Maybe the Ravens and Browns can be toss-ups, and I think they might be. Un- I think they might be favored against the Broncos. I'm going to have to look that up. But 
do, do they deserve to be favored in any of these games? And honestly, if you were to give just a percentage about them making the playoffs, where would you have that right now? Yeah, my prediction right now is it's going to come down to week 18 against the Browns. And <laughs> I've been saying that all day, and that's changed since 12 o'clock today because now the Browns, half their team is on the COVID list. Um, I think that the Ravens are a good matchup for the Bengals. Specifically, they're a much better matchup with the injuries that they have right now. And I think that the AFC North will continue to tread water, almost setting up you know, it'll be a must-win game against Baltimore after Christmas. And then I think setting up a Week 18 game. I think that the Bengals' passing game is – people are forgetting how good that can be. And fluke turnovers, um, I, I don't see trends yet. You look at Joe Burrow's interceptions. Like early in the year, he threw two interceptions to the linebacker, and that was a concern. In the middle of the year, he threw two interceptions where pressure came up the middle and he attempted something down the right sideline, kind of blind faith. That was a concern. But it really feels like they corrected those issues with Burroughs turnovers. That's kind of why I see going forward less up and down with the offense as a whole. These have been probably back-to-back two, you know, six out of the eight quarters have been good stretches for the offense. So uh, I do see more consistency coming. And as a result, I see a win against the Ravens and a winner-go-home situation against the Browns. Okay, so two uh, kind of a two-pronged question before we get to the Broncos contest coming up here and your thoughts on that, and then we'll get you on out of here. But number one, do you see that the Bengals can win the division with a nine, I guess it would be a nine and eight yeah. record? Obviously, I would think at that point, those two wins have to be the two AFC North teams on the schedule. Um, so that, and if they do get in the postseason, how viable do you think this team can be in the bracket? I mean, the Bengals were really competitive against Green Bay. They killed Baltimore, and Baltimore is a much better team. The Bengals at their best, like, again, th- this is one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL with PFF's highest graded quarter or second highest graded quarterback, depending on yeah. how you look at it, um, with a run game that's had moments, a strong defensive line, and a secondary that has been a backbone with the Wuja in particular and with the creative nature of how they're using Hilton and Von Bell. There's a lot to like in specific matchups. Like, for example, say they theoretically they win the AFC North, they get the Chargers in the first round at home. I mean, we just saw how that game could have gone. Um, let's say they play a team like the Titans. They beat the Titans last season. Um, the Titans' pass rush isn't as stout as it was a year ago, and pass rushes are something that have given the Bengals trouble. So in the right matchup, I certainly see that as a possibility. That's the whole point when you get Burrow and Chase and Higgins and Mixon. You give yourself upside for the right day. Yeah. And as we've discussed, it's about eliminating the highs and the lows. So, so just a quick tangent, just just for me personally, I've been wanting to ask you this. I've noticed during press conferences, the questions that you ask are not only relevant, but interesting to a player or coach that you're questioning, especially you. Zach Taylor. And you can tell sometimes by his initial response to the question. So as someone who works under an editor and needs certain stories to be written, how do you balance asking questions that need to be asked with with also making them compelling to answer? So I just ask what I'm interested in, and that's how I base my stories. That's how I base uh, any anything that I do. Just what what am I talking about? What like when I talk to people like you guys, obviously know about a lot, a lot about the Bengals. What are we talking about? That's probably going to be what I end up writing about during the week. So those general questions kind of shape my frame of mind during the week. I come in with specific things I want to ask, and I seriously, that's the highest compliment you can give me because the questions, no you know, the questions were we got nothing. So um, th- thank you so much. That means a lot. No, you kill it, man. John, John hit the nail on the head right there. You kill it with, with your coverage there. There is no doubt about it. Uh, this, I, I know we're kind of coming up against uh, some time for you here. So let's, let's transition a little bit into this coming matchup. Another Jekyll and Hyde team in the AFC that the Bengals go and face 
they have had some of their biggest, like some of their biggest franchise wins ever have been against the Denver Broncos, but not necessarily in Denver. So I don't know, man, how do you, how do you see this one shaping up? It just kind of seems like any given week, any team can beat anybody. Uh, but it, it's hard to be overly confident in the Bengals right now, based on what we've seen these past two games. Yeah. I like the Broncos edge rushers a lot, but just from what I've seen so far, it's not as, as aggressive of a style of defense. And I think the more aggressive defenses that don't blitz, but the teams that are aggressive, like the 49ers did, how they used their trusted their linebackers and safeties to cover a lot of ground, how they on those crucial third downs incorporated their nickel corner and rotated safeties in a really interesting way. Like the, the Broncos don't present some of those same unique challenges that I think have given the Bengals the most trouble. Um, I think it's a good matchup for them overall, specifically if they can guard Noah Fant. They tried some interesting things against against Kittle last week that I think could work against worse tight ends, uh, which Fant's still very good. But, um, uh, you know, the zone coverage on early downs and then the specific one-on-one matchup with Beller or Corner late in downs, I think that'll work better this week. I'm feeling good about it so far because they're healthy. Um, it's a big game. And uh, again, and this week, probably because of what I mentioned about how the Bengals ran the ball against the Chargers, a lot more is going to fall on Burrow's shoulders. It's only Tuesday, but quick, but very quickly, gun to your head, who was the Bengals' pump returner and who was their right guard for Sunday against the Broncos? <laughs> so right guard, I'm, I'm going to – I hadn't watched uh, Deontay Smith much in practice. I'm going to keep an eye on him this week because that's kind of how Hakeem got mixed into the pool. They, they have a precedent of putting in this kind of guard who they trust based off what they've seen. Punt returner, I'm going to say Trent Taylor. They made him one of their practice squad protections today. I'm going to do a video tomorrow about how they need to make him their punt returner. Um, look at what they did this offseason. They didn't put any emphasis on adding a specific punt returner. At the trade deadline, I wrote they should have traded for a punt returner. Ironically, Deontay Spencer from the Broncos was the name I like the most. I'll play him this week. I think that that deserves a specific spot on the roster. Um, especially now because they need a kick returner and a punt returner. So I'll go with Trent. I'll go with Trent. Someone get Brandon Tate on the horn, huh? Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, Charlie, thanks for your time, man. Yeah. You, you, you killed it. And you keep – you and Kelsey keep bringing us all kinds of great coverage from the Cincinnati Inquirer. We appreciate that. Quickly, if you can just reiterate to our listeners, if they've been living under a rock and don't follow you on Twitter, don't follow your material, where can they find your stuff? And how can they uh, how can they follow you? Just everything at the Cincinnati Inquirer and Cincinnati.com. Okay, easy enough. There you go. Charlie Goldsmith, Cincinnati Inquirer, does an excellent job covering the Bengals. Charlie, thanks for the time, man. I know you're busy, but uh, keep up the good work. Talk to you soon. All right. Appreciate it. So that was Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Enquirer speaking to us a little earlier. Hope you enjoyed that interview, John. Uh, he, he brings it, he brings it and he thinks that the Bengals are in good shape this week. Do you agree? Well, first of all, that's a guy who doesn't want more people following on, on Twitter. And I totally respect that for that, but I agree and disagree and, I, and I'm conflicted. I really am. I think this is like the most even matchup that the Bengals have at least thus far this season, because these teams are kind of similar, not in the quarterback. I think Bridgewater is very close to Jimmy G in that sense where he doesn't make a lot of great throws, but he usually have a few dumb throws mixed in there, but really deeper receiver, really deep in the secondary, a pass rush that isn't necessarily top heavy, but they still get the job done. Biggest difference, honestly, is like the Broncos offensive line. I think it's more solid from outside to in compared to the Bengals. And you're playing in a place that the Bengals don't normally win. 
They haven't had a lot of success in Denver, but you also have the fact that their backs are up against the wall. This team hasn't lost three in a row at the very least this season. They haven't done that since last year, and they did a lot of that in 2019. It's been you know two wins in a row, two losses in a row, two wins in a row, two losses in a row. I think they're now like they should have learned some lessons from last week, and they can apply it to this game. But I I really think it's going to come down to like maybe the final play. It's like, it feels like a coin toss in my mind. Uh, I actually am feeling a little bit more confident about this than than it sounds like you you might be. I feel like the Bengals kind of write things. You know, they've they haven't had a you know a three game losing streak this year. They haven't gone on. You know, they haven't allowed things to really snowball them snowball on them game after game after game. So I I think the Bengals kind of start riding the ship here. I think they played a good game on offense last week. It was just the special team stuff. And they uh, apparently, I mean, already this week, they placed Darius Phillips on IR. So there is a new plan in place in terms of the kick and punt return games there. We'll see exactly what that is. But um, that is, you know, I I actually feel kind of oddly confident about this one, even if Riley Reef is doubtful, which is scary. Um, I don't know. I just I, I feel like the Bengals write the ship this week and do so not necessarily in dominant fashion, but um, you know, maybe maybe they win by seven, nine. Um, I don't know. I'm just feeling pretty confident about it. Call it and a I, hunt. And I I totally get that. I honestly agree. It's just that whenever I'm feeling somewhat confident about this team, they usually blow it. So for <laughs> the sake of for the sake of everyone who is superstitious, I'm going to quote unquote predict a loss here maybe like 23 to 21 but mm-hmm. honestly the broncos should not scare the Bengals. if the Bengals lose this game it'll probably be something similar to the last couple of weeks where they kind of beat themselves it's just a matter of if they fix these issues against a very beatable team yeah i'll say uh i'll say 20 27 20 i guess Bengals. i think they i think they get this one um you know i don't i, I don't know about the next few weeks here but uh, you know, if they're not going to win, if they if they're only going to win two games and get into the postseason, it needs to be the two AFC North games. Otherwise, right. they need to they need to win, you know, a game like this, one of the AFC North games and then maybe the Chiefs. I mean, I don't you know what however that has to work out. But, um, you know, if they're if they're going to sweep the AFC North opponents, then, you know, that's that's what it needs to be. So. Let's get on out of here because we're going long. Let's drop the mic. And I, I think we did a good preview there with Charlie Goldsmith. And we appreciate him coming on the program. What do you have for us this week, John, as we head on out of here? Well, in surprising news, Urban Meyer is back in the headlines. Oh, boy. Because that guy just, he he's always under the radar. A lot of people were clamoring to fire Zach Taylor uh, earlier this week. And I understand the gripes with that. I even heard or at least have seen like he's like in the con- in the company of some other bad Bengals coaches. And I think the Bengals get a lot of crap for quote unquote, wasting players careers. And there's been a lot of bad coaches in the history, at least in the modern history of the NFL. I don't know if there is a coach who has successfully this effectively wasted an entire year of all 53 players lives than urban Meyer, not because he's a bad coach. <laughs> Not because he's a terrible fit in the NFL, because that's very obvious. Not because there's minimal success. He's got two wins. He just genuinely doesn't seem to care. And he just genuinely believes that he's above everybody. And some of the words that he said have kind of proven that point. You guys are all losers. I'm a winner. He said that to his freaking coaching staff. He made Marvin Jones, the nicest guy in the world, walk out. 
I don't think there is a coach who is less qualified to be an NFL coach than Urban Meyer. And he's, he might not even be the worst actual NFL coach in terms of X's and O's in the schemes. He just is. He just seems like an awful person, honestly. And on, I don't know how you can defend him at this point. I, I just I don't like the man. And I don't think there's a coach who's wasted more players' lives in one year than him. I think everybody who played for the Jacksonville Jaguars should get another year added on back to their NFL health because this year almost doesn't seem to count for them. I don't really have too much of an opinion on him because he just, I don't, you know. He's awful. He's actually. Yes, other than, I mean, I've seen some things you go, dude, what are you doing? It it reminds me a lot of when Saban was in the NFL in that brief period with the Dolphins where it was just kind of going through the motions, paycheck, and then, you know, this isn't working for me. I don't really, I I don't know that he really truly enjoys it as much as he he probably enjoyed college football. And you can kind of see it through a lot of different things. And I, you know, the thing that you're talking about with, you know, how he addressed the assistant coaching staff and everything. I don't know if that was just how he operated in college and he thought he could do that again. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's becoming kind of a dumpster fire there. And I I don't know how that's going to end up. It sounds like ownership is still kind of behind him, but you know, things can change very quickly in a matter of, of a few weeks. And when you have your leaders on the team disgruntled, that is not a good sign. I want to share something real quick with everybody, and I'm going to pull up a video. This is from Good Morning Football. Uh, Good Morning Football. This is uh, Mm. Kay Adams, who is um, one of the hosts there. So I'm hoping you can kind of see it. She's talking about it on the show. I'm just I'm going to mute it, though. But this is her kind of doing the deal as the ruler of the jungle. And, you know, you probably saw and heard a lot about this. She went to Bengal Jim's tailgate and she Saw, got some stuff from uh, Mrs. Captain, Mrs. Bengals Captain Jess Conley there. Uh, you know, she she gave her a cool uh, beanie and she got a cool jacket from a fan and all kinds of stuff. I, I want to say this. Not only was this very cool and Kay, who apparently is a Bears fan, not a Bengals fan, she seemed to embrace this whole thing, which is really, really cool. She seemed to have a great time. I want that jacket she's wearing. Um, <laughs> the, the Here's the thing that I think is lost on a lot of people. Yeah, this is a good time. And yeah, this is cool. This is a brilliant marketing move by Elizabeth Blackburn and by the Bengals front office staff. And what I mean by that, here we are in a nationally televised show on NFL network talking about her great time with the Bengals, how great the fan base is, how great the stadium experience was. Yeah, it stunk that they lost, but genuinely great people, the tailgate, all of the stuff that goes on. And this is a team that is wallowed in basically misery for the better part of five, six years because they have not been very good. They're finally good this year. And now they're getting national recognition because they're uh, quite a bit more exciting and all kinds of different things. I I just feel like this was a brilliant, brilliant move by the Bengals, by Elizabeth Blackburn to get Kay Adams to come to this, this game be the ruler of the jungle because then she becomes a national mouthpiece talking about how cool things are with the Bengals, how different things look with this team, not just with the on the field product, but with the, all the stuff we've been talking about as fans this off season, how there's a different feel in the in stadium experience, the in game experience, pregame experience, et cetera. So I just thought it was really cool. And I think it was a really, really brilliant move by the Bengals to get her to come and, and be ruler of the jungle, et cetera. Yeah. And shout out to Kay, who I believe um, was get along with that Bengals jacket and the beanie. She was given, I think a handmade uh, yeah. jean jacket, like the Bengals logo on it by a fan. She took a picture with the fan 
and then she wore it on the show and then i think that i think the fan uh saw it on twitter so her, her art was was on national display too so you know Kay has been a great supporter i think of just the, the Bengals and their and their turnaround and whatnot and I, I you know it's it's weird that like in the first year of ruler of the jungle a, a post of a football show is the ruler of the jungle and not like a former player or a fan but honestly i think the Bengals have just been waiting for a long time for just any sort of recognition and appraisal from a, a national figure like this and whether or not it, it is ultimately a marketing scheme or not i think it's just a total net positive and obviously the entire city of Cincinnati, I guess, embraced Kay with open arms and gave her the entire Cincinnati experience. So I'm, I'm really glad that she was able to enjoy it for as much as she did and came away with it, only confirming, I guess, her positive beliefs of the team and the direction and maybe even the city in general. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to make it seem like this was just like, oh, this this is a good opportunity here. It could be both. It could be both, I, though. You I, know? It's exactly right. That is exactly right. It can be both. It can be a goodwill gesture to a fan favorite host out there. And a lot of people like her, myself included. She's, she's really, you know, personable and does a great job at what she does. And she's done this with the charters already, this type of thing with the charters already this season. And so now she just becomes a, a mouthpiece for the Bengals, you know, talking about the, the franchise, the team and everything on this national spotlight or this national stage here and it was just really cool really cool that uh you know the Bengals recognized that reached out to her and uh you know she ended up having a great time and it sounds like the city treated her very well so at any rate um that's what i have for us john uh great great chat and some football with you i guess we'll be back at it friday for some listener questions if you're good with that and uh that's that's all we've got big show but it was a lot of fun yeah, man. And everyone sending your questions, uh, email us, add us on Twitter, go to Cincy Jungle with the comment thread. When that gets posted on Friday, we will answer your questions Friday. Leading up to another important game of this final four stretches. We're in the home stretch now. The days are getting shorter, but the season is getting oh so more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. We've got fantasy football coming up and then we've got listener questions live. And of course, the post game show coming up as well. So take care, John. Enjoy the rest of your week, bud. You as well, man. All right.